Welcome to an extra spooky episode of Audible Interlude, a G.I. Joe podcast. I am your host, Dave West, codename Phantom Troublemaker. And I am your co-host, Noel Wood, codename Crapshoot. Ooh, and I'm your co-host, codename Legion Cub. Spooky, spooky, spooky. I should have gone with Co-Ghost. <laughs> you should have. Oh, well. We're recording now. It's too late. Uh, opportunities. We want to welcome everybody to this uh, Halloween special episode of Audible Interlude, where we are going to be focusing on spooky things from the franchise that we love so much, G.I. Joe. Uh, each of us has come to the table with several different selections that we're going to discuss in sort of a roundtable fashion. And uh, if you're ready, Noel, why don't you kick us off? Sweet. All right, well, I am going to kick us off with a two-part episode, two for one. The final two episodes of season one of the G.I. Joe cartoon is called There's No Place Like Springfield. And this is essentially a Twilight Zone episode starring Shipwreck. Uh, He, of course, has a secret implanted in his head by Dr. Mulaney, um, but his uh, shark sinks and he winds up waking up years later with his beautiful wife Mara and his daughter Althea. Uh, but every time he has a bit of food or something to drink, he slips into a trance-like state. And uh, there's all this uh, crazy psychological horror where they're gaslighting him and trying to get this information from him. They're torturing him. Uh, and then there's all this creepy body horror. His friends are attacking him, and then suddenly they just start melting into piles of goo and picking them up and looking like they're gonna uh they're going to uh surround him and kill him um but uh this was we've talked about the episode um uh worlds without end uh parts one and two that one left an impression on me this one literally scared me as a child and still watching it uh, neil ross playing shipwreck it's probably the best performance he ever did in the entire series um, and still, like I said, one of the creepiest episodes of the show. Yeah, I think, uh, Neil Ross, we've, you know, we've talked about Shipwreck a lot on the show already, but I think he's a lot of the reason why Shipwreck is so beloved and comes across like such a main character because his characterization, you know, via his voice work is so good. And in this episode, the scenes where everybody is melting and he's freaking out and doesn't know what's going on. Like he, he gets it over purely through his skill as a voice actor. Like in the hands of a less, less talented individual, those scenes wouldn't be quite as horrifying, but he really sells it. Yeah. And all the interactions with he and his family where you can, you can tell he doesn't know what's going on, but he knows because he knows Mara and this calls, it's actually, it calls back a couple of previous episodes because it calls back memories of Mara um, and the Synthoid Conspiracy, the elements that were first introduced in that come together in this one. So, you know, he was in love with Mara and before she disappeared, and who, now she's back in his life. Who was, by remember. the way, a fish woman. Yeah, she was a fish woman. Uh, no longer has gills. That was explained as that Doc cured her before he turned into a, a Synthoid that was trying to also murder Shipwreck. Um, but, yeah, uh, and then Cadet Dimming, who's the... the 
Crimson Guard cadet that they are using, like, she's descending into madness as she's trying to extract this information from Like, all this is just, it's, for a kid's cartoon in 1985, it's really heavy. Well, it's very dark, but it's the kind of dark that, and, and I'm discovering this, or, or have been discovering this for the past 12 years, like, so much stuff that I watched as a kid just how demented it was kind of went over my head a little bit and then I go back and I watch it as an adult or or I watch something with my son and I'm like oh my gosh this is messed up yeah no wonder I'm the way I am and I still (laughs) want to know what happened that night in Annapolis um, which is how Shipwreck knows that Polly is the real Polly right (laughs) probably very similar to what happened in Cleveland anyone that has hung around me at Dragon Con knows what happened with Polly that <laughs> night. So I'm just going to leave it at that. <laughs> uh, also, any... if, I, if, if I ever start another band, um, it's going to be called Frogs in Winter. Spoiler, <laughs> that's the password. <laughs> any thoughts on this one, Christian? Honestly, no, but because I, it sort of ties into one of my picks, I've been Uh doing a rewatch of the DIC series, so most of um, what I remember from the Sunbow series, I've been pushing out to make space for this very uh, He-Man New Adventures-esque DIC series, which, yeah. So unfortunately... um, no <laughs> no i believe me i understand that because as i get older and we've discovered this recording episodes of the podcast we'll start talking about one thing and then it kind of leads down the road to another thing and i'll be like oh yeah this is i remember this from this and then i'll realize i don't really remember it well enough to talk about it yeah. whereas 10 years ago i would have been fine but now uh, dave at 44 doesn't have quite the uh steel trap memory that he used to so yeah, it's you. You have to focus on sort of one thing at a time with this stuff. Yeah, and take copious amounts of notes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, well, I am gonna take the next one because I, I feel the need to get something a little weird, a little different out there. Something that's gonna make everybody sort of go, "Really?" Uh, because that's what I like to do. Uh, my first pick are the pack rats. Uh-huh. <laughs> okay. So, <laughs> do here, explain. Here is why I find the pack rats terrifying. Have you guys ever seen a movie called Chopping Mall? Oh yes. my gosh. <laughs> or perhaps a movie starring Tom Selleck called Runaway. Where no. I've seen that one. Gene Simmons takes control of a bunch of household robots and turns them into murderous instruments of destruction. Oh, yes, I know that movie. I forgot Tom Selleck is in that movie? Yes. Wow, it's been a while. So, between Chopping Mall and Runaway, I am not a huge fan of self-directed uh, machines. <clears throat> and the pack rats have shown that they're susceptible to that kind of interference and control because as we saw in G.I. Joe the movie, when the broadcast energy transmitter goes nuts, uh, it makes them go crazy. So 
I find these little murder machines, which, by the way, consist of a flamethrower, a machine gun, and a missile launcher, all instruments of destruction. Like, these are not... Uh, which, by the way, yes, I know I'm throwing that phrase out, so, so <laughs> I hope you listened to uh, October's regular episode of Audible Interlude. Uh, I mean, these, these are things that kill people. And if they run amok, the casualties would be unbelievable. And beyond that, Hasbro produced so many of them. They were in production from 1983 to 1992. Do you know how many pack rats that means are out there? Wow. That's yeah. crazy. I did not know they were, were they were they mail-ins later on, I guess. Yeah, yeah, you could order them through the mail order, which I'm uh, you know, as we're sort of diving deeper into the history of the of the franchise and the toy line and looking at stuff that I've I've kind of never bothered to look into before, I'm finding all kinds of interesting things about how they did the mail order and and how long certain things were available in what forms. But yeah, so for me, the pack rats are terrifying. I think they're total horror movie material. I can I can see your point. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right. Any any more comments on these uh, self motivated mass murder <laughs> devices? I want to see an alternate uh, reality GI Joe series where the pack rats do come to life, a la Chopping Mall, and start blowing up people's heads. I mean, we were seconds <laughs> away from it in GI Joe the movie. Fortunately, yeah. they got control of the situation before anything truly horrible could happen. Uh, but. Boy, let me tell you. Uh, all right, Christian, what is your first pick? All right, well, uh, like I said, jumping to the DIC cartoon, um, I remembered when Cobra Commander got his revenge on Serpentor. And so leading up to this, uh, in order to now have his Python patrol, Cobra had this giant laser that they could imbue soldiers and and vehicles with the power of snakes. So to get his revenge on Serpentor, he takes an iguana and shoots Serpentor with the laser, turning him into an iguana. That on itself is not what's so spooky. Uh, I'm sure, you know, TV guidelines for kids at that time, Cobra Commander makes the comment, you know, oh, this change is only temporary, but <laughs> you're, you're going to always want to eat flies for the rest of your life. That's not what's so scary. Nagahide has a throwaway line as Serpentor is running away and goes, what do you say, Serpentor? Do we need another iguana on the Barbie? And (laughs) chases after him. (laughs) So Serpentor, I'm pretty sure, ends up spit-roasted and in Nagahide's belly. (laughs) So we We never never see him again is effed up. (laughs) Wow. They got away with, you know, we're going to throw that line in there as far as, oh, this is temporary. You're going to be fine. No, no. Always listen to those background lines. 
you would think that that would give Nagahide all the powers of all the leaders that were turned into Serpentor. And that's a terrifying thought. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And and that's one of the things I love about revisiting, you know, a lot of these cartoons from the 80s are those little background throwaway lines that, again, when you're a kid are so innocuous and you don't really think much of them. But as an adult, you recognize the, the horror that was being imbued <laughs> into these things we were watching. Yeah, seeing seeing Serpentor run away and Nagahide is just going right after him. Like, there is zero doubt in my mind what was happening. Well, and what makes that even funnier is the fact that the Deke cartoons are are much, uh, I think, aimed at a much younger audience. Yes. Than, than the Sunbow cartoons. That, that's something that in doing this watch, I'm trying to adjust myself to because... Yeah. The way they talk to each other, um, you know, there isn't a troop of Night Vipers. Like, every Night Viper there is, they call, Night Viper, you're going to. And it (laughs) just, it's weird. It's so unsettling. Well, like, if you watch that first episode, like, you would think that Alley Viper is just a face character and not just one of a million troopers. Yeah, it's it's and and we'll at some point we'll we'll certainly be reviewing uh, more of those episodes. But there is a point where it turns after Operation Dragonfire, which is uh, not too far off the mark from the Sunbow stuff. But after that, it changes it's, hugely. It takes a hard left turn. Yes, absolutely. Well, cool, great pick. Uh, I will be thinking about roasted iguana for the rest of the night. Uh, Noel, what is your second pick? Got a bunch to choose from, but you know what? I'm gonna go with I'm gonna go with another episode from the Sunbow series because I've been watching a lot of those lately. So uh, this is one that uh, for some reason didn't cross my mind when we were first approaching the subject, but I was like, oh, this one's perfect. This is the episode of the cartoon where the first time really in the in the animated series that we really play up that Destro is Scottish. Oh Destro man, this was my second pick. <laughs> is an arms dealer, and that Destro is a playa. Let me tell you about Destro. This, <laughs> this whole episode stems from basically, uh, he is, uh, talking smack about the Baroness. So, uh, anyway, he, Bar- uh, Baroness and Destro get into a little, get in a little tiff at the beginning. Cause he's looking at some, uh, some nice little, uh, Cobra trooper lady. Thank uh, you for later saving on. me, Destro. <laughs> <laughs> later on, uh, he tells, uh, somebody in a, car that uh destro is a confused woman that he's been erroneously linked to somehow then lady J winds up getting a package in the mail uh that says that she's the heir to a manor house in scotland this of course is the episode skeletons in the closet uh from season one so lady J goes to this manor house she's dropped off by a, a very creepy man and uh to do the uh, stefan from snl's uh weekend update this house has everything ghosts Creepy druids, spooky skeletons, eyeball octopus creatures, giant spiders, blood rituals, human sacrifices, and guillotines, among other things. Uh, This is basically like every stereotypical haunted house you could possibly imagine. Um, And of course, uh, there's a druid ritual sacrifice happening that Lady J just happens to stumble upon. And uh, 
Flint, who you know the first time you see him as Flint, because he's not even trying with his disguise, uh, rescues her. <laughs> or his voice and, change. Yes. And uh, this, of course, also for, for many young men, uh, started to instill some uh, thoughts in us, because Lady J had a very, uh, very interesting outfit on for much of this episode. <laughs> Her lovely pink evening wear. Lady J's nightgown is is a ballad by an '80s cartoon tribute band somewhere. <laughs> uh, yeah this this was my second pick that I had written down, and it actually was the first thing that came into mind when I thought about doing this episode because Lovecraftian horror in GI Joe is of course very cool, and this episode, I mean this. It is, you're right, it's a classic, almost Scooby-Doo-ish haunted house type yes. thing. <laughs> because everybody is suspicious and weird, and she has to sneak through the house and find the evil thing that's going on. Uh, maybe the human sacrifice goes a little far beyond anything Scooby-Doo ever did. But <laughs> it it is a creepy episode, but it's also got a lot of humor in it, too. I love the uh, scene with Destro at the beginning trying to sell to all the various uh evil people from around the world and his stuff's just falling apart <laughs> um but yeah it, it's a, a creepy spooky episode with a lot of weird stuff in it that you know by this time in my life this this aired this was 85 right yeah yeah um so by the time this aired i had seen a, a little bit of horror so it wasn't my introduction but it, it could very well be uh it has enough in it to where I think it, it could open somebody's eyes to, oh, what's all this weird monster stuff going on? I, I want more of this. And they leave you on a cliffhanger, which never really gets, you know, taken anywhere. <laughs> nope. with the, it's just out yeah. there. <laughs> with the, the creature from the deep just uh, <laughs> coming up from the from the well. So Just hanging out happens. in Scotland. That's right. Christian, you remember this one? No. <laughs> I am batting a thousand tonight, let me tell you. Once you have successfully purged the Sunbow series from that brain. <laughs> Which is fun, because it means when you go back and revisit it, you'll be enjoying things all over again. Very true. Uh, all right, well, I am going to go ahead with my second pick, which is the Zombie Viper action figure. That was first introduced in the 2011 30th Anniversary Collection, uh, and then they did a two-pack of them for the 50th Anniversary, which is the way that I got them. I never even saw the single-carded Zombie Viper. Um, I'm trying to remember if I was even aware of it, because I feel like it's something I would search out. But I don't remember these being a thing until the fiftieth. Christian, do you? What's your memory of these guys? You were active. I did collecting. not know about them until the fiftieth. Okay. And and to be honest, I never got one. I actually because that was during a time period where it's almost like ninjas. It's like oh, they added zombies. I roll because everything at this point in pop culture is zombies. Yeah. Yeah. Um. So it wasn't until when they did the um, the San Diego exclusive for the shared universe 
that yeah. had Rom and the Visionaries and Mask. They reused the Zombie Viper parts for the Dire Wraith. And that spurred my, oh! And so then, of course, enough time has passed that I've... So I totally have been obsessed with, um, like, wow, they they went there with it. Yeah, this was something I was very interested in because, to me, this fits in with G.I. Joe. For, for the listeners who may not be aware of these, although I'm pretty sure everybody is, uh, zombie vipers are Cobra infantry troopers who have been given a mysterious chemical substance, Compound Z, that has turned them into drones. Wiped of all thought, they follow orders mindlessly and cannot be reasoned with or sidetracked. They have retained skill at combat. In fact, their desire to fight has been increased, making them more dangerous than before. In other words, they are deadly zombie warriors. So, from that description, you have you you know you can go any number of ways. This could be Doctor Venom. This could be Doctor Mindbender. This you know there are all kinds of different possibilities of who came up with this compound Z. So they fit into the lore in that way, but they're also very resident evilly which doesn't seem too terribly far separated from G.I. Joe as far as the, the concept to me. Uh, I like the mutations. I like the customization. I've got... Uh, how many do I have? I've got four of them, and every each one looks completely different because they have the tentacle arms, they have the regular hands, they've got clothing parts, helmets, uh, all these bulb things that contain the compound Z... They're they're really great, great, creepy little figures, and I, I'm just a big fan of the way that they did these. And the the funny thing is, you know, they call them zombie vipers, and typically when you see them posed online, they're in a sort of staggering, you know, Romero zombie type pose. But reading that file card that that summary, these guys like run and fight and are scary like 28 days later type things like they're not staggering around the battlefield they're running at you with their giant tentacle arms ready to suck your eyeballs out of your head so uh these these are super creepy one of the legitimately most unsettling gi joe figures that have been released i think uh and just excellent for the season and i'm glad to have a few on my shelf because they really they really are uh, very well engineered figures. I'm a big fan of, and yeah, that Dire Wraith. I've actually got that set sitting right next to me here because oh, it's nice. so well. It's so freaking big. I have there's nothing I can do with it. I don't want to open it because I don't have anything to do with the non GI Joe stuff that's in that set. Mm. So it's just this whole box has just been sitting here for years now <laughs> beside my desk. Uh, it, it actually right now has uh, stuff sitting on top of it because what do you do with a box that's like two feet tall? Uh, but yeah, zombie vipers. Excellent. Love them. All right, Christian, it is your turn again. Okay. So we're going to go back, 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 back in time to the early mid seventies. Uh, GI Joe adventure team was done. Um, and GI Joe's last, ditch effort to win the hearts of children in the pegs of stores was Super Joe. 
And in the Super Joe toy line, he fought... They, they had scaled him down to about eight inches, um, and they fought more aliens and monsters. And one of those monsters is called Terron. So back in 1993, uh, I was still living in Kentucky. I was working at a comic shop, and we we got this loose monster in this toy lot that we you know we bought off this dude. I had no idea what it was, but it it reminded me of Tundro from Herculoids. You know the big armored uh, rhinoceros looking thing. Oh yeah, yeah. So it's this like six legged kind of looks like a triceratops but it doesn't have the horns um and you know you put your batteries in it and the legs move and at the time i had no idea that it was gi joe it it, you know this is pre-internet days so there was a lot of talking to other toy collectors and trying to find out what, what is this monster um but it so the Super Joes used lights as a, a action gimmick. And so Teron, you put the batteries in him, and his legs move, and he walks. And when you shine the light on his sensor, he stops walking, his mouth lights up, and he emits a death scream, which is more like the sound of, like, the old X-Wings and TIE Fighters made, you know? It's just, like, battery buzzing sound. Um, but thinking of, you know, kids back in the 70s, this really cool-looking monster uh, that was big, you know, the 8-inch the uh, figures could actually ride on the back of him if they wanted, but I, I love, you know, post-internet age, now where you can find commercials for him on YouTube and, and photos and all that, I just love that he was advertised with a death scream. I don't think you can get away with that now. <laughs> so, I have found a 3D picture, a rotating picture, of Terran, the Beast from Beyond, on 3dsuperjoes.com, which is a great website. And this is absolutely horrifying because what it reminds me of is the little ear creatures from Wrath of Khan. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and that is horrifying because it's those but with legs. Uh, yeah, wow. this guy is scary. I've never even seen this before. Uh, I want one, and I'm sure they cost like $1,200, you know, nowadays. Yeah, I, I have always regretted, like, it, you know, hunting down, like, finding out information about him during that time period was, like, this great thing that has always stuck with me, but I've always kicked myself that I did not go ahead and just buy it. Yeah, my God. But I was out of Joe's, like, I wasn't in to G.I. Joe at that time period. Yeah, yeah. Uh, definitely not into any of the, like, Super Joes or Adventure Team or anything like that. Um, but it has always, always, always stuck with me. It's just, it's a super cool design. Uh, 
man, I would love to see what they could do with it today. Yes, absolutely. That well, and that's why with you know just to throw this out there for the classified series, that's why I don't mind it being something different because there's room for something like this to show up, I think. <laughs> and I'd be mm-hmm. a-okay with that. Yeah, I didn't even cross my mind to go back and look, because I, you know, I knew that the Super Joe stuff had some really weird, bizarre stuff, but it didn't even cross my mind when researching this episode to go back and look at some of those things, because there's a handful of things from Super Joe era that would really fit. Yeah, it was one of the first things that I thought of, and, and I was like, man, I don't know if anybody out there is going to remember this because Super Super Joe was probably the least popular of all the Joe lines. Like it, it. I don't even think it lasted two complete waves. I think um, it was more popular than GI Joe Extreme. <laughs> <laughs> well, what isn't? <laughs> okay, yes, fair enough, fair enough. Um, but but you know, minus Terran, those figures do not hold up well. Um, even mint on card figures, you know, the, the rubber bands, the cheaper plastic that they used, everything just broke down. Yeah. Yeah. Um, they, I mean, they look, looking at them structurally, they don't even look, uh, sturdy at all, especially Gore, King of the Terrans, who I feel like I'm looking at a picture of him now and I feel like it's possible this picture could fall apart just from me looking at it. <laughs> He looks to me like he belongs in a uh, Jerry Anderson Super Marionation show. Yes. Yes. Uh, and look, he looks cool too. I'm not going to lie. If I saw that toy for any kind of price I could afford, I would grab it. But I, I would have had no idea it was a in any way related to G.I. Joe. Yeah, so any of you listeners out there that haven't looked into the Super Joes, do it. I mean, they they threw a lot of stuff to the wall to see what would stick. I mean, it's got some great designs. Uh, what, you're saying Hasbro went to desperation mode when G.I. Joe started flagging at some point in time in the past? <laughs> That's never happened before. There's no precedent there. No, never, never. <laughs> well, awesome. That was a great pick. I like that guy. That was spooky. Yeah. Uh, Noel, what is your next spooky pick? Man, I feel so pedestrian after that last one because that was reaching deep. But I feel like this one's pretty obvious, but I don't think we can do this episode without mentioning him. Mainly because the urban legend is that his bio was written by the master of horror, Stephen King. Uh, Although that is disputed. Uh, Yeah, of course, Crystal Ball came out in 1987. (laughs) Um, He is one of the most loathed. Uh, figures and characters in all of G.I. Joe. By Not a lot by of me. But I love him so much. Um, and I guess there's a lot of things that lend some credence to the idea that uh, Stephen King wrote it because, of course, Stephen King's son, Owen, was a big G.I. Joe fan. Uh, Sneak Peek, released that same year, is named Owen King um, in tribute to him. Uh, there's also the fact that his mother is from Maine. Uh, although she's not from Castle Rock. Um, <laughs> she's from Bangor, Maine. Um, but, you know, there's there's some pretty cool stuff in his background. I mean, it's it's very 
it's it's very kind of cliched. He is the seventh son of a seventh son, and of course his father was Romanian or Romalian, I believe, is the way it's misspelled on the on the uh, card. And he definitely uh, favors Vincent Price in his in his look. Um, but I I had so many great adventures where Crystal Ball was like the ultimate Cobra villain who was uh, taking out all the Joes and, and turning them against each other and. Um, yeah, so I, he got a lot of play in my in my t- in my time as a child. For me, uh, Crystal Ball was more of like a- as I you know after I got the figure and kind of read the bio and and it sort of became less important to stick to that. He became really more of a sorcerer type and would summon uh, other toy lines. <laughs> like that I didn't normally play because I was one of those kids that like He-Man, G.I. Joe, Transformers, Thundercats, like they're different scales. They look different. I couldn't even play with Star Wars and G.I. Joe together. Even though they were scaled the same, they're aesthetically so different mm-hmm. that I, I couldn't play with those. Now I could use like Star Wars vehicles for G.I. Joe that I, I did that quite a bit actually, but like as far as the figures themselves, I couldn't play with those together. But with Crystal Ball, once he turned into a sorcerer, and that's his little shield was like a portal generator, I guess, he would summon like Mumra to come and fight G.I. Joe. And then he goes away because he doesn't fit. Like he's not the same size. <laughs> so like that's how I would use Crystal Ball to get other toy lines into my G.I. Joe play. And I definitely leaned more towards like weird horror type stuff. Um yeah. I never had any of the big inhumanoids monsters, but the smaller ones, he would bring those in, stuff like that. Well, and uh, of course, this character did not get a lot of uh, love in the media. Um, Larry Hama has said he he couldn't figure out this character, um, even though he (laughs) more than likely wrote the bio. Um, He he came up with a use for Raptor, but (laughs) But, couldn't get Crystal Ball in there. Well, he appears in one issue of uh, the Special Missions, um, where he uh, fails to kidnap the president. Um, I don't even remember that issue because I had to go back and and re and refine that. And if you've ever heard Larry at one of his panels, he talks about how he couldn't figure out really how to use this character um, up until the point where he was doing IDW and he just made him this like dime store fortune teller, uh, and that was how he was able to incorporate him in. But you know, trying to fit him into his original line just it didn't work for him. And, and you know, I can't argue that. That's a that's yeah. a fair uh, use. <laughs> like if if the cartoon were still on the air in 1987 and he had made it into the movie before before that time, like he would fit in very well, yeah. especially in the year of Cobra Law. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I I didn't really see him making an impression in the in the Marvel run. Christian, any crystal ball thoughts? Yeah, I remember seeing him on the pegs at Walmart when he came out and I thought the design, the look of him was really cool. Uh when I read the bio, I was like, I'm out. <laughs> this is <laughs> this is dumb. And I hate that shield. 
And this is coming from someone who loves the visionary lines and is a sucker for toys with holograms. I don't know why the lenticular shield bothers me so much. Um, but my younger brother ended up getting him. And so many years later, when I would, you know, just see the figure, I was like, you know, take away the bio, take away the shield. He's a cool figure. And so in my head canon, he's more of a a sadistic serial killer esque that that, you know, torture guy that works for Cobra as opposed to, you know, letting you know that your bicycle is in the basement. <laughs> Alamo. Alamo. I think the shield, that's a good, I see, I always loved the shield because I was a big sucker for lenticular stuff, but it looks more explosion-y than hypnotize I thought it looked like a flower, and I just couldn't. <laughs> which is even worse. It's yeah. also his only accessory, which is kind of Yeah, that's a little sad. lame. Uh, but yeah, if it had like a spiral or something on it, I think it would would be a little cooler, like a red and yellow spiral maybe would be cool. Especially mm-hmm. if it's spun. Yes. Yeah, yeah. If they had just put a little uh, a peg on it so it could spin around, that would be very cool. Uh, but anyway, I like Crystal Ball. I got some use out of him, and uh, he's he's on my shelf now. So I'm, yeah. I, I like the guy. Uh, all right, moving on, my next pick, and this is tough because we're, we're in our second half here. So we're going to be running out of time at some point. But I got to make sure I get in what I think is the scariest thing ever from G.I. Joe that was not a primary like antagonist. And that would be the two worms from the Worms of Death from the original uh, five-part Do you guys know what I'm talking about here? No. Oh my gosh, Really? Okay, this is from the Mass Device, uh, which I can't ever remember the proper titles of the first two miniseries. I think it's just Real American Hero, right? Real American Hero is the first one, yeah. Yeah, but it's about the Mass Device. And they are after the catalytic elements. Once again, believe it or not, things they need have been strewn across the globe. <laughs> Funny that how often that happens. Uh, and one of the elements that they need to power the Mass Device is heavy water. I remember the heavy water. That they and and what we get here are these really weird we get the blue baroness design and we get cobra divers that are just in red swimsuits because the eels were not a thing yet. Mm-hmm. Uh and they go underwater and and we also get this really weird version of the shark that's not the shark but it is but they're, they're, everybody's underwater, and they're going after this heavy water, which is in a pool at the bottom of the ocean, if that makes any sense. But to get to this pool, they have to go past all of these giant columns, these round columns that are you know, probably 20 stories tall or something. And as the Joes and Cobras are going through here, 
these massive tube worms are coming up out of the columns. Yes. And they attack okay. uh, the Joes and Cobra, and they end up having to work together to fend off the tube worms, and they do it by shooting at the bottom of the columns and detaching them from the ocean floor, and they float away. But we've got Baroness in this weird little ball submarine thing getting wrapped up by this giant tube worm, and the noises these things make are horrifying. It's this like... <laughs> It's it's horrible. They're terrible. Probably a voice by Frank Welker. Yes, yes, absolutely. Uh, so these things scared the heck out of me when I was a kid. Um, I I have an affinity for for aquatic themed stuff. I always like it when uh, Joe's or anything else does you know episodes at sea or underwater, which is one of the reasons I love GI Joe so much because it feels like half of the episodes were that. <laughs> uh, but. Yeah, these things are terrifying. Have you guys had a chance to to Google them? Yeah, up I'm yet? looking at them now, and I I do remember. Yeah, so, well, when you started describing this thing, because the first thing when you said that, I'm thinking of I don't know why the time worm that Globulus had in oh, the, yeah, yeah. the movie was the first thing that came to my mind. Also I horrifying. Like, I was like, yeah, it's kind of creepy, but. Yeah, okay. And then and then as soon as you started describing it, I was like, oh, yes, now I remember vividly. With their almost <laughs> human-like faces and their big yeah. screaming mouths, uh, they're, they're horrifying, absolutely terrifying. And then when I was a kid, uh, like, I was genuinely scared watching this part. Those things really freaked me out. Yeah, they're, they're creepy. They're like the lamprey mouths. Yeah, yeah just yeah. very unpleasant. Uh, all right. Christian, you will wrap up this round. What is your next pick? Okay, well, uh, Noel, you had actually went with my third pick, so uh, it's okay. My backup, <laughs> uh, most horrifying moment in G.I. Joe cartoon history for me is Snake Eyes in Pyramid of Darkness. Oh. Dressed like Boy George. <laughs> snake eyes in his full snake eyes suit with a wig, the hat. I mean, really, the wig on top of Snake Eyes' is full head mask. Just, uh, <laughs> why? Why? <laughs> I'm not going to lie, it's, it is, like, out of context, it's a very disturbing image. It's... It's also a terrible yeah. disguise. Right! <laughs> but my favorite is that Timber is also in disguise. Yes. And, yes, and dances with a hat on. <laughs> Shipwreck's outfit is something to be beheld as well. I Hey, look, I, I can look past everybody else because it you know 80s cartoons most of them had an episode along these lines um you know i can fully accept cold slither a ninja <laughs> wearing a boy george disguise is just that's nightmare inducing well, and what's funny is, in the 80s cartoons, it was unusual enough to see a primary character in something other 
than what they wore every single episode. But this was not the kind of variation we were right, looking like, for. Like, Quick Kick can go to the Arctic and still be shirtless and shoeless. <laughs> right. But, but let's throw a wig on Snake Eyes. It's not <laughs> like if he took his mask sense. off, anybody would recognize his horribly mutilated Freddy Krueger face. Right. <laughs> Well, good call. Excellent. Uh, that will haunt my dreams now that you've put it in that... Fr- you've, now that you've framed it that way. <laughs> uh, All right. Well, uh, has everybody got enough for one more round? I think we can get a few more pa- uh, picks in here. Yes, absolutely. All right, Noel, take it away. Well, I'm going to go back to the cartoon for just a second because, again, that's what I've been uh, watching a lot of lately. I mentioned earlier there's a lot of Twilight Zone in G.I. Joe. Um, but no place like Springfield. Uh, Glamour Girl is another one that's very Twilight Zoney. There's another one that I don't want to mention because I feel like it should be someone's pick here. Um, but it's one of my favorite episodes. But I'm going to go with another one that's not Twilight Zone related, but definitely a lot of the people writing GI Joe loved '50s horror because, um, and I loved The Blob as a kid, and as such, yes. I also loved The Germ, um, which is a 1985 episode, or is it? Yeah, it's '85. Um, where the uh, the a Crimson Guardsman, uh, who is uh, Agent X-99, uh, is sent to steal Bacteria X. And while he's in this hospital, dressed in doctor's clothes, and he gets the, the, the mission to steal it, he then puts on his Crimson Guard outfit to go steal this secret element, <laughs> uh, which has got to be the dumbest thing you could do at this point. Um, he winds up uh, then threatening to shoot a doctor, uh, who catches him, and instead shoots some chemicals, which doesn't make any sense. Uh, I don't understand that scene. Uh, but, of course, while he's uh, he sells it to Cobra Commander, uh, or to Destro, and he sends them away, and of course he's, he steals some, and he also steals a special growth formula of uh, to, to combine with Bacteria X. And, of course, they combine, and as you know, we get the blah, I mean, the germ. Um <laughs> which goes on a terror and it's uh, absorbing small towns and people. And like, there's a lot of moments in this episode where I was absolutely sure people died. And uh, of course at the end, cause it's GI Joe, uh, they all, they all managed to survive, but it, it was, it was pretty horrifying. I really thought those eels or actually they weren't eels. They were Cobra troopers who disguised themselves as eels, but still were perfectly uh, equipped and able to fight with airtight in a really cool scene inside the the blob, um, but yeah, I, I was sure they were dead because they were inside the nucleus of this of this germ with a bomb. But in the end, all it took was apple seeds. That's right. <laughs> they killed him with the cyanide inside of apple seeds. I have I have a distinct memory of going and asking my mom if apple seeds are poisonous after seeing this episode and her being utterly confused by why in the world would I be asking this ridiculous <laughs> question. You uh, learned some science from G.I. Joe. Yes, you did. And, and I went and asked my dad... Uh, for for sort of backup, and he actually knew off the top of his head. Yes, it's a very tiny amount, but you would have to eat 
however many pounds of apple seeds for it to even make you feel not good or something like he he had a a rational explanation for this thing but it upped my respect for gi joe to find out that they weren't just making this nonsense up (laughs) the rest of the nonsense was all made up but that one little fact was was true Uh, yeah, that's, I mean, it's, it is, it's an homage, as so many of the situations and episodes are, to something from the past, and, and a very well done one. I, I, I love that one, absolutely. Uh, my next pick is one of the most disturbing instances of body horror I've ever seen in my life. Uh, it's not so much an entire episode from the Sunbow series, it's, it's from the second season, and a very specific instance that occurs... And that is Iceberg being transformed into a killer whale. Yes. One of the most horrifying, still horrifying to watch to this day. Um, It's the episode Iceberg Goes South. And he ends up coming across, of course, Cobra up to no good. And over the course of the episode, without, without getting too deep into the plot... There is a scene where he gets in, uh, injected with this mutagen, basically, and turns into a killer whale. And it's that specific transformation scene that will give you nightmares. Yeah, it's 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 a lot. <laughs> it's disturbing, and it's very graphic for for GI Joe. Because uh, we see some weird stuff in this ep- in, in not this episode in this series, and you know that's fine. It, it introduced us to a lot of really weird concepts, but this is straight up like body horror stuff. I, I would it would be one thing if we like did the old Wolfman style. Here he is. Here, camera cuts away to like Doctor Mindbender watching him transform. Then it cuts back, and he's half killer whale. Then we like they did, they showed the whole thing, and it's <laughs> horrifying. So this this was one that affected me uh, definitely when I was a kid. Do you remember this one at all, Christian? Or I this... know what I'm watching <laughs> as soon as we finish recording. <laughs> I believe we discussed this a few episodes back when discussing Iceberg. Yeah, I think but, it yeah. was definitely mentioned. Yeah, it's horrifying. I agree with you there. All right. Well, Christian, I hope you've got something good up your sleeve because you're taking us home. <clears throat> well, no. <laughs> 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 my my last of the backups uh, is actually really based more on his card art than the figure itself. Um but as part of the Star Brigade line, G.I. Joe had aliens to fight. And there was one alien in particular, Carcass, mm-hmm. who was uh, this red uh, creature with, like, tentacle arms. Didn't really have fingers. He just had, like, like claws coming out at the end of them. Uh, sort of like a hammerhead shark looking you know like the eyes were basically on the side of his head and then he had a mouth that jutted out from that uh visible organs with these two clawed hands growing out of his stomach area to try and protect them 
Um, so like I said, when when you when you look at card art, you're like, oh man, this is this is how GI Joe can fight Xenomorphs like during that time period. But then when you look at the figure, you're like, <laughs> yep, there's the limitations of what the toy industry was in 1994. <laughs> so this is another one where with with all the updates that they've done over the years, man, I would have loved to have seen what what they could do with this kind of concept now or or even within the last, you know, 10 years. Yeah, this card art is horrifying. Absolutely fantastic monster design. Uh and then you get down to the figure and and boy, what a piece of junk. Yeah. What what a monochromatic piece of junk. It reminds me like he would fit into the Micronauts line. Yeah, in a different yeah. setting, this would be a cool toy. But in front of that awesome, almost like Rawhead Rex-looking card <laughs> yeah. art, like that figure is a disappointment. And, and I you... like that they're going, like they're, tra- they're incorporating the bendable arms. Like that's something different. That's something neat. Why? Why not get weird? You know. But they didn't get weird enough. And and you know, back when these figures came out, I mean, I'm not. I'm... You know, not a Star Brigade fan at all, um, as far as the Joes go. But when you were looking in the toy magazines that were coming out at the time, and you were seeing this artwork, and you're like, oh, this is going to be so cool. And then when you saw what came out, it was a huge letdown. But, again, like, the potential there for just, you know... An inhumanoid scaled G.I. Joe. Well, imagine, like, let's say you were doing this via mail order, and this isn't a situation that really existed, but imagine you order this figure based just off of that card art, like, ahead of time. Like, this is coming soon. <laughs> you can pre order now. And then this figure shows up. <laughs> but at the same time, uh, like many things that maybe don't live up to the standards we'd like them to have. If I saw this in a bin somewhere, I would a hundred percent buy it. <laughs> yeah. I don't think a lot of them are out there because they didn't produce a whole lot of them at that time. Yeah. And th- then they just completely scrapped Cause the next year, the manimals were supposed to come out, which they wound up getting a release from KB in like 2000, mm-hmm. I think. Yeah. Way after the fact. Yeah. But those were even more horrifying. Than yeah. The, that was the uh, same sort of situation where, hit we were just like oh this is not what we've waited (laughs) right this is not what anybody was hoping for there's that ooh and ah when you see you know pictures of of prototypes in the toy magazines at the time and you're like oh man i oh i wish they had gone through with that and then when you saw it on the shelf you're like oh (laughs) yeah compared to everything else that's coming out right now this is some fisher price my first gi joe alien stuff so looking at the rest of the lunar lunatics empire, which come on, you guys, mm-hmm. uh, we've got Carcass, who's your your big orange friend here. We have Lobotomax, which is the best name ever. Yeah, true. <laughs> That's actually not a bad figure. Uh, 
also has a bendy portion, but it's his neck or its neck, I guess. Who who knows? I don't want to assign a gender to this individual. Uh, and then these weird little extra legs on the back. Like this thing is awesome. Lobotomax is like, like legit, really really cool looking. Now, at the time, well, in '94, I was I was well out of GI Joe. Uh, at, at no point during my early G.I. Joe years would I have liked this as a G.I. Joe figure, but now I think Lobotomax is awesome. I like everything up into his actual head. Uh, the the design of the eyes being like below the mouth, I think on the card article, but because the mouth isn't open, he just looks like this mouthless giant bug-eyed guy with this duh look on his face (laughs) well it's a very like almost the thing or like cronenberg type design where i could see this neck coming down like you see this thing and then the neck sort of slowly comes down and you realize the mouth is on top of the head and then it just bites your face off i can imagine this thing in action uh, and then finally, I guess there are only three of these guys. Yeah, Cons, the last one, uh, which has well, they sure did uh, yeah. use that uh, that a lot with Hasbro. <laughs> Hasbro got their money's worth out of their copyrights. Uh, which and I love this guy. I don't think he's scary looking. No, in the least, he looks like but he's, he's so cool. He lo- looks like a band member from the redone Return of the Jedi. <laughs> like this is some or no no he would be in uh in a star wars theme park he would be like an animatronic extra in the band that's in the restaurant you go eat at <laughs> and he would have some sort of jive that he he talked on the microphone and then he would lean back and play his you know space loot or whatever yeah like that I'm sure he was highly inspired by a movie starring Arnold Schwarzenegger that came out a few years before. Oh, 100%. I mean, those dreadlocks give away right there. Absolutely. Well, awesome. That was actually a great way to close this out because I think the Lunar Ticks Empire, am I saying that right? (laughs) I think, unfortunately, I think I am. Uh, Lunar Ticks Empire was a great way to close this thing out. Uh, Nolan Christian uh, had a great time about spooky G.I. Joe stuff with you. For the listeners, uh, if you guys want to share any of the stuff that you find scary or weird about G.I. Joe, uh, hit up the Audible Interlude podcast on Twitter. That's at Audible Interlude. And uh, we're also on Instagram. Please follow Audible Interlude podcast. And uh, before we go, do you guys have any final thoughts about G.I. Joe being spooky? Yeah, we would have gotten away with it if it hadn't been for that pesky timber and those kids. <laughs> Yo, Joe. Cobra.
You have been listening to a Needless Things podcast. You can follow Needless Things on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and at needlessthingspodcast.com. Love you. Mean it. Uh Uh-huh.